greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. What it, um, it's, it's just beautiful to, to hear um, the saints raising their voices and proclaiming the greatness of the Lord and uh, just declaring how great he is. Um, even just when we look at um, how he works in our lives, even in the minute details of life, you see the greatness of God. Amen. So it is, it is beautiful as a church when we raise our voices, lift our voices high, and uh, proclaim his greatness in, in our midst as we, we consider what he does for us each and every day. Um, it's, uh, uh, one of the things that really blessed my heart is when, when we are away from the church as we were away last uh, week, um, is how um, you know, my heart longs to be with, with the saints of CBC. Um, even just thinking um, about you, um, it, it, it just warms my heart to, to, to know of your love, to know of your care. Um, so um, it just blesses my heart. I, I think about the church in Thessalonica. Um, so I just, um, I was saying to my wife on, on Sunday last week when we were not here in the morning, so I'm singing, I'm singing beautiful Savior in my, in my head. I'm singing beautiful Savior, and I'm thinking, yo, I miss the saints in CBC. And, and it's just a, a, a beautiful um, um, time that we get to spend together. Amen? Let's sing out to the Lord and, 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 and just um, fellowship together under the preaching of his word. Let me um, uh, take this time to welcome Lorato, um, who drove all the way from Northam. Um, to come to be with us this morning. Um, um, so uh, just uh, get to know him after church. Um, you're welcome, brother. Um, there's also Matt at the back. I think he came last week. Um, Matt um, is from Dikwepi. Um, I'm sure most of you know his dad. His dad once came to, to preach here at church. Uh, his dad is uh, Pastor Jonas Mo, uh, Mutsomani. So he came here to preach. So uh, Matt um, is, is here. He lives in Rustenburg, and he's studying here. So get to know him as well. Um, make him feel welcome. Um, then we have uh, Dumi and uh, Baki um, all the way from uh, Bronconsprate. And they were just uh, visiting here in Northwest, and they came to be with us this morning for, for worship. Um, good to see uh, the, the, the Puri daughters uh, once again. It's been a while. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, may, uh, may God bless our fellowship together around the preaching of his word and, and as, as we, even after church, um, get to know each other uh, well. So we continue um, um, in our series in Philippians in chapter 4. We, we are in chapter 4. Chapter 4, we're going to read from verses uh, 4 to 7. Um, I wanted us to read until verse 9, but then um, I will just take verses 4 until verse 7 this morning. Chapter 4, verse 4 to verse 7. And the title of the sermon this morning is Solid Joy. Solid Joy. Um, let me read uh, from ESV. Uh, this is the Lord's word. Let us hear him. Re rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, 
with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And this is God's word. Amen. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this morning as we come to hear it. Prepare our minds and our hearts. Open our minds, O oh God. Open the eyes of our understanding that we may see and behold wonderful things from your word. That whatever your word is calling us to, O oh God, we may respond with enthusiasm. We must respond, O oh God, looking at the fact that we cannot do anything by ourselves, but um, we, we, we can be enabled by your Holy Spirit, O oh Father. Thank you for all that you do in our lives. Thank you for your word and, and for, for giving us your spirit, O oh God, to help us to understand everything that you say to us. We pray for all this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The solid joy. So the question is, how does one find true joy in life? It's a question that we, we, we ask ourselves, right? Even though sometimes we don't ask it in words. We, 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 you, you can see the way people live. They, they, they live with that question in the back of their minds. They, they are looking for joy in, in everything that they do. There's, there's a sense of wanting true joy. How then does one find true joy in life? Many answers have been given in, in trying to answer this one question, especially when we look at the world around us. The world tries to answer this question in many ways. The world says, okay, you want joy? You can find joy in pleasure. Just, just be as hedonistic as, 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 as you can. Just pursue all the pleasure in the world, and then you'll find joy. Again, the world says you can find joy in money and, and wealth. Make as much money as you want, and then you'll be a joyous person. Or, or they say in fame or, or position. These are things that, that can give you joy. But after the world gives you these answers, then it goes again and proves how wrong and misleading these things are. Let's just think about pleasure for a moment. Uh, Solomon, the, the wisest man in the world, uh, after all the pleasure that he ex experienced, he, he, he looks at everything at the end of his life and he says, vanity of vanity, all is vain right i think about money think about money the, the world says you find joy in money john rockefeller was was one of the wealthiest men in his time i think he was the wealthiest man to ever live but when he was on his deathbed and 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 and, and those who were taking care of him came to him on his deathbed and said what can we do for you or, or just tell us what can we do for you and he looked at them and said just one more dollar just one more dollar and, and and again you think about fame and 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 position there was a man called lord beaconsfield he, he was a man who enjoyed more than his fair share of both uh, uh, fame and position in life but at the end of his life he said youth is a mistake manhood a struggle old age a regret just what we learn from all these answers the world gives, is that true joy is not really found in circumstances. True joy 
is not found in things. In fact, the biblical answer leads us to believe that Christians are to be marked by joy in every and any circumstance they go through. And, and this is the point that Paul makes here in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. That believers uh, 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 are to be marked by, by a solid, unshakable joy. It is important, as we, we, we consider this, this topic, that we remember that Paul writes this letter in a filthy Roman prison cell with chains on his hands, probably chained to a prison guard. He, he is not in a comfortable air-conditioned house, drinking tea and scones while writing about theoretical matters he knows nothing about. As he writes, Paul is experiencing what he said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11, that indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, will, will suffer persecution. Paul, at that moment when he writes this letter to these believers, he is experiencing that. He's experiencing persecution because of his faith. He's not in a comfortable position at all. But in such a, even in such a persecution, we see a man who, who is not complaining about life, a man who is filled with joy. Several times in this epistle, he uses the word joy to describe his response in all circumstances that he has experienced. So in light of this, we, we can understand verse 9, that what he's about to say to them is not just something that he's speaking from theory, but he has experienced it. He has gone through it. That is why he says with confidence, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. They, they have seen it in him. They have landed in him. They, 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 he taught it and, and he lived it and, and they, they saw it. it. It was evident in his life that, that this man, what he teaches, he lives. See, the whole section um, we, we just read hangs here on verse 4. And it, it is possible, uh, 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 though, to take each verse as a sermon on its own, but but. This morning I am concerned with showing you how these other verses tie in well together with verse 4. As I said that I wanted to take in verse 8 uh, and 9, but we'll, we'll deal with verse 8 and 9 uh, next week on, on, on their own. Uh, I just want to show you how verses 5 to 7 connects very well with verse 4. In, in verse 4, Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice Paul issues a clear call to these Christians to rejoice in the Lord. And no doubt, this is what they needed to hear at that moment. They needed to hear that. The fact that the verb rejoice is a command, it's a present active command. It gives us the idea that joy is not a natural thing to do, right? It's not a natural thing, especially when we face difficult situations in life. The, the default response is usually not that of joy, but wanting momentary relief. We, 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 we don't respond to difficulty and, 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 and difficult circumstances with joy. Remember that these believers were, were facing difficulties outside 
the church expressed in opposition and persecution for their faith and also uh, difficulties inside expressed in divisions and, and conflicts in the church. So, so if joy is to be found in circumstances, then they have nothing to rejoice about. And, and, and Paul's command here to rejoice would be meaningless. But Paul's, Paul appeals to, to, to a higher source of joy than smoothness of life or, or material abundance and healthy bodies. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. That the Lord is the source of our joy. This is what we must know. He is the source of our joy. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Right? He doesn't say rejoice because things are going well in life. Rejoice because life is smooth and, and all is, is just a bed of roses. It's, just, it's, 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 it's nice and, and, and going very well for you. He, he's not saying that. He says rejoice in the Lord. Think of it like this. We, we rejoice in the Lord because of his work in our lives. The fact that he has saved us from the wrath of God should flood our hearts with, with the most thrilling joy expressed in our worship to him. So we should see um, joy not as getting what we desire, but we should realize what we deserve first, right? We should first realize what we deserve. The, the, the testimony of scripture shows us that we deserve the judgment of God, but instead he, in his grace, he, he gave us salvation. We received salvation. What, what we deserved, we did not get. And, and, and what, we, what, we, what we didn't deserve, we got. Actually, let me digress um, and probably give this, this illustration. You, you know the movie um, uh, Des Despicable Me? Well, I think it's, it's, it's part one of the movie where, 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 where it, it shows Gru uh, dancing. I think it's part two, actually. Uh, Gru is dancing, the, the villain, um, the man who was a villain, and, and, and he, he's dancing, it's joyous, and, and there's a song in the background that is playing uh, 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 by Pharrell, Happy, right? Yeah, clap along if you feel. So th 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 there's this song playing in the background. And, 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 and what happened, as you look at the life of, of Gru, is that he has found love, right? He has found love with this, this new woman, and, and this woman has changed his life. He, he does not want to be a villain anymore. And, and now he, he's a man who has fallen in love, and, and he's filled with happiness in his life. And actually, that is an illustration that we can use, that, that we were living lives that dishonored God and we're under the wrath of God. And, and God in his love, what did he do? He saved us. He didn't pour his wrath on us. He saved us. And, and how we must respond to that is we must respond with the most thrilling and, and the, the, the greatest joy in him, a joy that worship and honors him. This is how we must respond, right? Just think about it that way. We rejoice in the Lord. It should bring us joy because of what the Lord has done in our lives. And that is why Paul, before addressing other matters, he prioritizes joy. He says joy in the believer must be constant. It must be always. He says you must rejoice in every circumstance. It must be a solid joy that is present in every and any circumstance they find themselves in. But if you, you and I were to be honest this morning, there's so much that threatens 
the joy of Christians in the world, right? There's so much that tries to strangle every ounce of joy that it becomes a real battle that we have each on, on, on a daily basis. It, it becomes a battle for joy. When we go through life, we, we experience many threats against the joy that the Bible is calling us to. So Paul, as a militant strategist for solid joy, presents before us two joy killers and strategies on how to fight back. Two joy killers and strategies on how to fight back. First of all, the first joy killer that he he presents before us is conflict. Conflict. Verse 5. Look at verse 5. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Let let your reasonableness be known to everyone. It, It should be noted that the immediate context of Paul's call to rejoice is right after dealing with the conflict between Judea and Syntyche, who were not seeing eye to eye, right? We, we, we saw that when we looked at conflict resolution in verses 2 and 3. Uh, conflict is the enemy of harmony, and whenever it is present, it threatens true fellowship among fellow believers. It, it threatens the joy that we have as Christians. Whenever conflict is there, joy will be strangled out. And this is also true in other settings, not only in the church alone. Uh, Conflict at work makes the workplace an unpleasant place to be, right? You don't want to be there. It's, it's It's just unbearable sometimes. Conflict in marriage divides husband and wife and turns marriage sour. Where conflict is, you can be sure that joy is absent. You, you can be sure about that. Moreover, again, conflict shifts the focus from Christ to the person that I am against in church. The, the person I am in conflict with. Whenever they are around, I become annoyed. I become sensitive to every little thing they do, whether it be chewing gum or, or laughing in a squeaky voice. I, everything that they do just annoys me. It just rubs me off the wrong way. Or I, I always have something to complain about. Nothing seems to make me happy. Nothing seems to, to please me. So Paul presents a strategy to fight against this joy killer in verse 5. If you observe verse 5, it is a twofold strategy. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The the NIV puts it very, uh, more more understandably. It says, let your gentleness be, be evident to all. The Lord is at hand. You see, the word gentleness is the opposite of being contentious and and self-seeking. This gives us the idea of someone who's willing to give up their own preferences and and show grace to to others. There's a deeper meaning found here in this word. There was division between Judea and Syntyche because they were determined to to have their own way. One woman insisted on her rights and, and the other would not even yield. Paul was saying that for the sake of peace, we should be willing and ready to yield what we call our rights, our position, our pride and and preferences. We should be ready to put those down for the sake of the other. 
Gentleness involves yielding our rights and showing consideration for others. What he says about reasonableness and gentleness, it, it, it subdues and it, it subdues explosive tempers and stubborn wheels. Whenever we are, we are, we are, we are, we are gentle, when we are reasonable, it, it generates peace in our lives. And Paul says this must be evident to all. I, 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 I think it's, it's here. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. But do, do you see that? In NIV, he says, let it be evident to all. In other words, it must be a character trait that every joy-filled Christian is marked with. So instead of being, a, a, being known as a complainer or a, a conflict engineer, Paul says, rather be known for your gentleness. Rather, rather be known by your gentleness. Rather be marked by a fruit of, of the Spirit. Rather, let this be your reputation that when people are, are, are together gossiping about you, it's possible, when, when people are gossiping about you, they will say, oh, what a gentle person he is. What, what a gentle person she is. That, that this would be your reputation. This would be something that you're known of or about. Paul goes on to say, uh, 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 the Lord is near. That the Lord is near. Uh, this, um, actually, a lot of um, commentators look at this word and, and they are divided on what it, it could mean. Um, some say it, it, is, it is temporal. In, in, in other words, it is talking about the, the, the coming of Christ. And some say it's spatial. It is talking about the nearness of Christ. But when you look at the context, it is not temporal. It is not talking about the second coming of Christ. Uh, Paul is not referring to the second coming of Christ here. As, as you look at the context, it is actually talking about the nearness of Christ to believers. How Christ is near um, and close to his people. In other words, we should be reminded of his presence to help and, and to guide. And, and knowing that he's present, even whenever conflict arises, would, would, would cause us, instead of taking up arms to fight against each other, that we would lock arms and pray together. Do you see what, what Paul is doing here? He, he, he's showing them of that... That, that presence of Jesus Christ that he promised in Matthew 28 when he said, Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. The, the presence of God is, is near us. It, it is that, that promise that Jesus Christ made in Matthew 18 that where two or three are gathered, there I am in their midst. It is, it is that promise that the Bible makes about the nearness of God, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. It is that promise that is, that is, that is made in, 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 in all the testimony of scripture about God being near us and, and whenever there's conflict we must remember that that instead of fighting together we call out to God you see that this is how we fight for joy as a church right fight for joy as Christians. We, 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 we remember uh, um, that the Bible is calling us to, to display the fruit of the spirit, gentleness and, and we remember that the Lord is near he is with us to help us and to guide us in whatever circumstance that we go through. So Paul says the first joy killer 
is conflict. And, and the way you deal with it is by being gentle and by remembering the presence of the Lord in your midst. And secondly, the second joy killer that Paul presents before us is anxiety. Anxiety or worry. Look at verse uh, 6 and 7. Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. The word anxious, the word that is translated anxious, describes being divided and pulled in different directions. And, and, and I'm pretty sure that you and I find ourselves in that position a lot of times, don't we? We find ourselves anxious and worried that there are so many things that, that concern us on a daily basis that they consume all our attention to the exclusion of the Lord. And this does not mean that we shouldn't be concerned about anything or, or just to be indifferent, uh, but rather the anxiety that Paul is warning, warning against here is, is that which unhinges or, or paralyzes and weakens a person. It, it, is, it is a harassing anxiety. The, the, the Philippians are not to allow their lives to become so wrapped up in, with, with material well-being that they fall apart when the standard of living is threatened or their wealth is taken away from them. They, they are not to worry about any of those things. They are not to, to worry when their car breaks down in the middle of nowhere. They, they are not to be worried about any of those things. Right? According to Steve Lawson, worry chokes out our inner life and, and robs us of peace. It, it squeezes the life out of the heart, strangling all enjoyment of life. It, it robs us of our joy. The, the, the strategy that Paul presents against this joy killer is in verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Once again, when you look at the strategy that Paul presents, it is twofold. First, it is presented in the negative, and it is presented in the positive as well. Let us look at the negative. He says, do not be anxious about anything. This is a command. In, in other words, the implication is that to be anxious is to be disobedient to God. He's commanding them not to be anxious. It is a failure to trust that God is in control. It is a failure to trust in the promises of God in the midst of difficulty. As a Christian, as a Christian, you must know that difficult times will come. Difficult times will never set an appointment with you. Right? They will never knock. They just come. And, and, and we must be ready with, with, with the armor of God's word. We, we, we must be ready. We, we, we must always be a, a ready people 
having informed ourselves with who God is, right? With, with the attributes of God, that he's an all-knowing God. He's an all-present God. He's an all-powerful God. He's a wise God. He's a loving God. He, he is a, 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 a majestic God. He, he's in control. He holds everything by the power of his word. He is supreme. Everything is in his hands. And, and he loves me. I, I must be ready. I must be ready not only with who he is, but with his promises, what he promised in his word, and know that he will be faithful each and every day. He has never failed. We, we, have, we have a record. We have a record of the faithfulness of God. And, and when you go through how he has dealt with people from Genesis to Revelation, every time you see the faithfulness of God, it's, a, it's an abiding faithfulness. It's a steadfast love. It's a faithfulness that never fails. We sang about it this morning, right? We read about it, actually. We, we, we must remind ourselves of those things each and every day. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Nothing is to make you anxious. Stop being anxious, in other words. Secondly, the, the strategy, first he's, he, he looks at it in the negative and says, don't be anxious, and now he looks at it in the positive. He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. In, in other words, Paul is saying, put your full trust in God. Put your full trust in God. The, the, there's a clear contrast drawn between the words nothing when he says, don't be anxious about nothing, and, 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 and everything, when he says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. There's a clear contrast. In other words, the idea here is nothing is to worry us, and that we must take advantage of every moment to pray. Everything that threatens our joy must be brought before the Lord in prayer. Paul uses four words to describe the comprehensive nature of prayer. He says it's, it's prayer, verse, verse, um, verse uh, 6. This is the broadest word for, for communication with God. And he says it's supplication. The, 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 the word here, it conveys the, the sincere sharing of our personal needs and, and problems. He says we must bring thanksgiving before the Lord. It's, our prayers should be accompanied by a heart of, of gratitude for all that God has done for us in the past. All, all that God is. We must come with grateful hearts when we, we come before the Lord. Again, he says it's a request. It, it's, this is a word that speaks of presenting specific needs we have. We, we, we come before God. And actually, let me say this about, about prayer. Prayer is a declaration of our dependence on God. Right? It's a declaration of our weakness and, and, and a, a realization of God's strength. Right? We, we, we come before God, we say, we are weak, but you are strong. This is what Paul is saying. He says the way we fight anxiety is not by running around like headless chickens. We, we, we must go to God in prayer. Approach the Lord in prayer. Think about all the testimony of Scripture and, and men who faced anxious times. Think about Jehoshaphat. Uh, it's, 
Second Chronicles chapter 20, uh, uh, when, uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter 19, when he reforms Israel, when he reforms Judah, and he reforms the worship, he reforms the politics and, and everything, he reforms uh, the, 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 the priesthood in, in, in Judah, everything just goes well, right? Everything just seems to be going well. But chapter 20, we see that nations are coming to attack him. And, and he, he's at a state where he, he, he does not know what to do. But he goes and, 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 and bows before the Lord and prays. And when you look at chapter 12, chapter 20, verse 12, he says, uh, uh, we, we are powerless before this great multitude, but our eyes are on you. He acknowledges his, his weakness. And, and, and just think about it. Jehoshaphat could, could actually command an army and say, okay, prepare yourselves to fight. But, but he doesn't do that. At first, he doesn't do that. He, 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 he goes to the Lord first. He, he prioritizes the Lord. And, and, and the, the Lord being the one who's sovereign, who, who is in control of every situation, as, as Proverbs says, that... that uh, we, we, we settle the horse for the war, right? But the victory is from the Lord. So he, 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 he sees that. He, he sees the sovereignty of God in, in, in every situation, in the, even in the situation where they are being attacked. He sees the sovereignty of God. And he approaches the Lord in prayer. We are powerless before this great multitude, but our eyes are on you. It is, it is something that we must do before the Lord. Whenever we face anxious times and, and difficulties, times of difficulties, Lord, we are powerless, but we look to you. Right? Verse 7 shows us that a, a further blessing awaits for those who, who, who take all their cares to the Lord in prayer. There's a, there's a blessing, he says in verse 7, and, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The, the, the peace of God will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And of this peace which God gives, it's a peace of mind that God works in us. It, it is furthermore said that it surpasses all understanding. And this can be taken as meaning in general, in, in, in general that not human, no human mind can, can grasp or understand or comprehend the greatness and fullness of the glory of the peace which God gives. It, it, it cannot be understood. In other words, as, as, as Ephesians chapter 3 verse 19, it says to, to, know and to, to, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. That, that is the idea. And in close connection with verse 6, it probably means that the peace of God which excels and surpasses all our own intellectual calculations and considerations and all our contemplations and premeditated ideas of how to get rid of our cares. He says, depend on the Lord. Let me, let me say this. To depend on the Lord, we must know him. Our knowledge of the Lord brings us to a state of peace, right? Our knowledge of the Lord honors God. It, it, it brings us to, to a point where, 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 where nothing worries us because we know who God is. We know his, his attributes. We know his promises. And at that moment, we have peace that surpasses all understanding. 
it is important that we, we, we be at that point and, 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 and we realize how in, in, even in moments, in, in difficult moments, verse 4 is still a reality in our lives. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Amen. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. We pray that our hearts will respond to your word, Father, with joy. Lord, help us. We find ourselves a lot of times weak, but thank you for your promises in your word and for reminding us that without you we cannot do anything. So whenever we respond to you with joy in difficulties, we know that it is your spirit, O oh God, working in us. Thank you for your indwelling Holy Spirit, for your grace and your love. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.